Well, Father, it's in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus that we bow before you and we do acknowledge that you are God and we are not and that you have spoken and that we hold that word in our hands now. We open it with anticipation that you would use it and that you would build us and grow us, conforming us to the image of your beautiful son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his grace. Thank you for the work of salvation that has brought us to yourself and that continues to work in us. Father, we commit this time to you now that we would be careful listeners and that we would be disciplined doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I remember being in a service with a group of young people. It was an auditorium uh, that was on a college campus, so it was like a theater auditorium. And we had about 400 teenagers in there, and I was actually in charge of this event. It was uh, several dozens of Bible churches from across the country had gathered, usually pretty small churches with youth groups that had gathered. And we had, uh, like I say, about 400 of us in there. And we had a guest speaker um, who was there to preach. And the young people were listening well. And about halfway through the message, this auditorium, all of the power went off. Bam! And because it was a theater-type auditorium, there were no windows, and I mean, it was pitch black in that auditorium. The funny thing is, the preacher just kept on preaching. (laughs) He just kept going, and I was in the back, and I was like, what are we going to do? And I thought, sure, he would at least acknowledge, you know, hey, the lights have gone off, sit still, I'll keep preaching if you can keep listening in the dark. Nothing, just preaching away, and there was like a rustle among the kids as they were trying to figure out what was going on, and... I mean, it went on for several minutes. Finally, the power was restored and the lights came back on and he's still preaching and just kept on preaching. Interesting thing, when the lights went off and the power went off, and I suspect there were all but one of us, the preacher in the auditorium, that were teetotally distracted and I can't remember a thing he said once the lights went out. I doubt the teens did either. Well, I invite you at this point to turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy In chapter 2, we are working our way through the book of 1 Timothy in our New Testament, a letter that Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy at a church in Ephesus, and the Ephesian believers are receiving leadership from young Timothy under the tutelage of the great apostle Paul. I want you to know this morning that where we are in in our passage, that Paul is instructing Timothy to deal with a major distraction in the church. And it's not that the electric has gone off. It's kind of interesting, I think. Let's read our text this morning, and uh, we'll find out what is so distracting in the church that Paul feels the need to instruct Timothy to make corrections in this area so that their worship and their prayers will not be interrupted when they gather together corporately as a church, particularly. Let's pick it up with verse 5 and just read a few verses this morning. We we do want to reserve time to just quiet our hearts, reflect upon uh, the reality of our salvation in Christ with communion at the end of the service. So we're only going to take part of our message today. And uh, verses 8 and 9 will be, uh, 9 and 10 will be our text. Let's pick it up with verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, Paul says, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. 
I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher, I am appointed as a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. This is what I want, what Paul says to Timothy, verse 8. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. We'll stop there. The final two verses are going to be our text, and you need to know going into it that though we addressed the men specifically last week, today we specifically address the women. Paul has a message for us all. I'm going to give you four words this morning for you to kind of wrap your brain around a little bit, and the first is the distraction. We need to deal with the distraction. What is Paul talking about? What's going on that he wants this pastor to deal with in his church? The second word that I want you to, that I w- will look at is the concept of objection. Because here's what's going to happen. We're going to talk about this a little bit. And I think there's some natural things that come up in people's mind. And they say, hey, wait a minute, what about this? And you're going to have some objection to the text. Which is going to allow me, as a pastor, number three, to make some suggestions about the text. And then we're going to end by turning our attention to, number four, our sanctification as we recognize that what Paul's talking about here is that ultimately what's going on inside a person ends up showing on the outside of the person and that we are in change mode. We are being transformed by the gospel through our ongoing sanctification. We've been saved a point in time, declared righteous before God through Christ alone, But there is an ongoing work of that salvation and that gospel in our lives that is a word that we call sanctification. And then that will lead us to the Lord's table to say, thank you so much that you took an old dirt bag like me and you allowed me to be adopted into your family. Transformed and changed. So let's look at the distraction. Uh, No, the electricity did not go off. I guess they probably did not. I'm quite sure they did not have electricity then. And um, that was not what was distracting, but in their service, something was going on, and the church had issues. Notice Paul says in verse 9, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. I want you to first note about the text here that he says, I also want, and that's a transitional term. In other words, he's building on the teaching of the text previous. Notice what we talked about last week. Paul declares himself as an authority, as an apostle, for the sake of the gospel, that is the only gospel. There's only one Christ, only one church, only one way of salvation. He's a herald for that message. And then he's telling Timothy, and I want this to happen in the churches, tell the men that they have to lift up holy hands. We talked about this in detail last week, and the point was that they were approaching worship inappropriately, to be redundant. They were approaching worship inappropriately, okay? And so they were coming together and they were praying and their hands were not holy. In other words, with duplicity and with, with sin in their lives, they were getting up and leading the service, raising their hands, leading in prayer, and evidently probably the congregation even knew 
that they were disingenuous. Paul says when they get up to pray, make sure they lift up holy hands. And the second thing, make sure there's no division among the body. They are not to get up and lead a service. They are not to lead in prayer. We're not to gather as a body of Christ, praying together with dirty, soiled, sinful hands. That's a metaphor for our our lives and how we're living and being prepared, washing our hands to worship. That means having a life prepared The second part is, and not in anger or disputing. There's to be no division in the body. In Christ's church, it's not okay to have schism. It's not okay for this side of the church to not get along with this side of the church. It's not okay for guys who who pray and who lead communion and who are leading the service and the leaders of your church to not be in unity. And they're to have holy hands and they're to be in unity with the body. They're to have fellowship with one another. There's not to be unconfessed sin with one another. And in the same way that the men are to lift up holy hands, I want you to know that the women are to dress modestly. You see the package of teaching. I also want the women. So he's talked to the men. Now he wants the women to know. And along this same line, just as distracting as it is in the church for unprepared, sinful men to get up and lift up unholy hands in prayer, and everybody's thinking about everything about that man except his prayer to to God through Christ, or they're thinking about, well, that guy, he doesn't even get along with that guy, and now they're serving communion together. And it's a major distraction. The other thing Paul's mind turns to then is to this issue of women and their dress in the church. I want you to see that the word, what he says, he says, I also want women to dress modestly. There's an interesting insight here. Now, I'm an English Bible student. I don't know the the Greek or the Hebrew that most of the Bible was written in, but it is always interesting to study out and to discern what these words translated into English from the Koine Greek mean. And the word dress is a word translated into the NIV, dress modestly, comes from a Greek word that sounds something like this, cosmeo. Cosmeo. What English word do you think we get from cosmeo? Cosmetics, right? Cosmetic. And here's what that word means. The word cosmeo in Greek translated into English cosmetic or to dress up, to get, watch how you dress, watch your cosmeo, means to arrange or to put in place. It means to make something ready and to put it in order. Put it together properly. The Apostle Paul is applying it to their dress, how they cosmeo themselves, their whole body, not just how we think of cosmetics as eyeshadow, lipstick, and blush, and things like that. And you also have to recognize that there is, at some level, in the nuance of the meaning of these words, to dress modestly with decency and propriety, that there is a sexual overtone or undertone to these words. The idea is that there is some level of sensuality or distraction because the clothing is inappropriate and they are not cosmeoed right. They're not arranged properly. They are arranged in such a way that it has become a distraction. All right? Now I want you to see that the, the second part of what he says here is with decency and propriety. The idea there is that this is something that is appropriate for the occasion. And we all understand that. We would wear clothes along the beach that we wouldn't come walking down this aisle in, right? 
because it's not appropriate for the occasion. Now, it might not really be appropriate for the beach either, but it's certainly not appropriate for walking down the aisle on Sunday morning. All right? And that's the idea there. With propriety, with good judgment, understanding the arena in which you are so that you make good decisions. Now, something that's interesting here is that there is a cultural aspect to this passage that we need to understand. And it's helpful to, for us to understand it in its cultural context because of the next thing that he says has to do with braided hair, gold, pearls, and expensive clothes. That's kind of interesting, too. And in our culture, clothing particularly has, in a lot of ways, and isn't it interesting, we live with, we live with um, tension in our culture. On the one hand, it is so important how we dress. On the other hand, everything goes. But sometimes it's really important that I have the everything goes look just right. It's not just everything goes, it's very carefully arranged cosmeo anything goes look. You understand what I'm saying? And so one of the things we need to think about as we study God's word is, okay, when was this written? This was written in about A.D. 60, okay, about A.D. 60, give or take in there. So, that's a long time ago, right? And it's over in another part of the world, whole different kind of culture, whole different kind of concept. So we need to understand what was happening culturally, and then we need to think in terms of the fact that, okay, what part of that applies to our culture, and how are we doing with this kind of thing? Let me explain a little further what I mean. Let's go ahead and read the second part again. He says, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or expensive clothes, but verse 10, but they should be noted, dressed, cosmeoed, arranged carefully with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. There is an appropriateness that a Christian woman should display that is different than a non-Christian woman might display. Let's think about the culture for a minute because it will shed a little bit of light on this teaching for us. And it is this. Now, we're so used to, in our culture, essentially being affluent and wealthy. And some of you say, hey, where, where? That ain't me. Well, it is in a lot of ways. Basically, we all pretty much look the same. We all pretty much have the same kind of homes. What I mean by that is almost everybody has a washer and a dryer and a refrigerator and a microwave. We've got three or four televisions, two or three cars. We've got a lawnmower. We're all pretty much the same strata. And in our culture, in the United States, um, we basically are, are, have a comfortable, what we would call a comfortable middle class. There's not too many of us that are really, really wealthy and don't have to work. And there's really not too many of us that are really, really poor and that don't, do not know where our food's coming from tomorrow or even today. We're pretty much straight through the middle. And really, we're characterized as fairly wealthy. We pretty much do what we want. We have cable still. You know, we haven't cut the cable off hardly, things like that, you know. That's not how it was in in this church. What you need to understand in this culture is that there was no comfortable middle class. There was wealthy people and the ruling class, and then there was everybody else who worked for them, many of whom were poor. There was also in this culture the acceptability culturally of slavery or a a servanthood where people worked as servants. They they didn't even have that good of a job, but they worked as as service personnel in households. Maids and servants, just a little bump above a a slave. And even some of the household had 
ownership of these people and were slaves. So then Jesus comes along and he changes everything. He just has a way of doing that. And the church begins to grow. And people are gathered. And a really rich guy over here gets saved and his family. And a guy over here whose service personnel gets saved. And a guy over here who still owes, he's still a bond slave and he's still a slave. And there's just like this mixture of people. And then what happens is you got to understand that these rich people had things that everybody else in the church didn't have, and they tended to want to emulate, like, the political class, the leader class, or what would be in our culture, in some ways, a Hollywood celebrity class. And that's what Paul is teaching about here when he gets onto the thing about braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. You see, that was a look that the common man just didn't have or common woman didn't have. Oh, on rare occasion, they might have a nicer garment, but most people only had maybe two or three garments in, in, in a whole year there to wear, and they didn't have a whole closet full of clothes. So imagine you're in church, okay, and you're struggling, and you don't even know where your next meal's coming from. And you are like poor, but you are in Christ, and so you're rich. And you love coming to church. And Paul has taught you and others have taught. Now Timothy's your pastor. And then comes swagging in one of the Christian believing families. And they've got this robe on. And think in terms of, for this culture, like a, a man's toga. Only a lady, lady kind of gown thing. Only it's like out of really expensive fabric. And it's got embroidery on it. And in her hair, she has her dew really going. And she's got braided into her hair streams of gold, strand and chains and, and uh, streams of gold that they would literally braid into their hair. It was at some level for a way of like putting it in your wallet. You know, they put it in their hair and nobody can get to it. On the other hand, it was a good way to flaunt what you had. The other thing that you need to know is, according to the commentaries that I read, they said that in this culture at this time, pearls were like top of the line. I think in our culture, probably diamonds are considered the, the top thing. But in this culture, pearls were considered three times more valuable than gold. And so the celebrity, the pagan rulers who taxed the people to death would flaunt these kinds of robes. They would put their hair up. They would braid and weave gold into it. They would have embroidered gold on their garments. And then they would have these pearls in their hair and on their clothing sewn to their clothing and we woven into their hair all these pearls and the pearls it would be like somebody putting lots of diamonds on and and it's not fake glass it's real diamonds it was just like whoa baby okay and then christian then somebody gets saved and they're wealthy enough and they put all this together and they come to church and they sit down to worship jesus and everybody in the place is doing what whoa did you see that how many, how much gold is it? Look at the pearls. Whoa. And what are we here for again? That Jesus Christ might be central. That we might humble our hearts before the living, holy God of the universe. That we might recognize that we are a needy people. And that we might recognize that it is only by His grace that we can come and be united and be strengthened so that I can go out and face another week of of servanthood or slavery or just I don't know what God's doing in my life, but I, and man, I don't even have any food. And imagine if you don't even have any food and somebody else in the church is flaunting their stuff. 
Ain't nobody thinking about Jesus. And there's jealousy. So the next week, you know, the chick over here says about the chick over there, that ain't nothing, wait till you see my hair. And she puts her hair up a little bit higher and her robe a little more pearls sewn to it. And the next thing you know, you're just like, this is crazy. This is just crazy. We've got unqualified men with dirty hands lifting them up to pray. We've got fighting among our men and our leadership. And now our women are coming in and they're putting their gold in their hair. They're putting up their dues. They're wearing all this jewelry, putting on all these dresses. And not only that, some of them that don't put on their dresses all the way are showing stuff that they shouldn't be showing. And we just got problems in our church. And so Paul says, Timothy, you got to do something about it. So first of all, with the dress modestly, we have sexual overtones. And secondly, with the gold, pearls, and expensive clothes, we have economic overtones and division in the body. Paul says, this is a major distraction. Deal with it. This is a good time to stop and... And to acknowledge that when many people in our culture read a passage like this, they immediately have some objection. Maybe not as much as next week's message, but they still have objection. And I'd like to address what I imagine some people's objections might be. And I think this is more than just straw men that I've built. Paul says again in our text, I want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. The first objection that I see that I think should be addressed is this. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, who's writing this? Objection number one. If this is a man telling me, a woman, how to dress, I don't need it. What business does a man have telling women how to dress? Well, let me address that objection. First of all, this is, in case you didn't get it, the Apostle Paul. Okay? This is the Apostle Paul who, though his personality comes through, though his intellect is being used, though his heart desires are involved, when he is writing this, he is under the guidance and tutelage and direction of the Holy Spirit so that he is writing inspired scripture here. This is the word of God coming to the people through Paul. They may or may not have recognized that right away. It didn't take too long before it was recognized that this isn't just another letter. This is God's word to us. So one of the things you need to say, if you don't like a man telling you how to dress, then you need to recognize that this is not just a man telling you how to dress. This is God telling you how to dress through a man. The second thing I want you to realize about this man who's telling you how to dress is that he's not an ordinary man when it comes to church. This is a man who loves the gospel and loves the church. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians how he kept saying, how he said, uh, 2 Corinthians, how he said, I've been beaten so many times. I've been shipwrecked and I've been beaten with rods and I've been beaten with cat and nine tails and I've been, I've been left for dead on the city trash heaps. All for what? For preaching the gospel. And in the middle of that section, Paul says, and not only that, I've been cold and I've been naked and I've been abused all for the cause of the gospel. Just, I mean, stripped down to nothing, thrown in prison. All for the cause of the gospel. And on top of all of that, he says, daily, I bear up under the weight of all the churches. In other words, what my heart 
is poured out for. Everything that I live for, everything that my life is given for, is for the church of Jesus Christ and His gospel. And so when this man is writing, he's not just trying to cause problems in the church, because every pastor would know that you want to start getting in trouble, start telling women how to dress. Paul says, don't mess with my churches. Paul says, don't do things in my churches that are distracting people from the gospel. And Timothy, you're the pastor, you deal with this. So it's not just a man addressing this. Secondly, some people would say, I don't like this because, Pastor Van, this certainly smacks of legalism. It smacks of legalism. The next thing you know, you're going to be passing out robes at the door and we're all going to have to put on gray robes and, you know, and sit with our hands folded so that we don't distract anybody in this church. I'd say basically that's pretty much nonsense. I mean, it can go there, and there are churches and people. I remember the same youth conference that I talked about in the beginning where the lights went off. Years before, when I first started to go there, before I was involved in leadership and I was a youth pastor just taking teens there, it was coming out of the late 70s and into the 80s, and short shorts were still around. Do you remember? I remember when I was in high school in 1978, short cut-off jeans with the frizzies, don't sew a hem on them at all. And the white pockets would stick way below where the shorts were cut off. And other things besides the white pockets would hang down too. And it was just inappropriate. And so all these Christian Bible church kids are getting together at the convention. And so they had to make a rule. The rule was you had to have at least a three-inch or whatever inseam. And so the guy who eventually, I had that position of leadership later when the lights went out, but this is years before that, the guy who was in that position as a leader literally had a little wooden one-foot ruler and went around and measured inseams. I'm like, I don't think I'm doing that. I just think you're setting yourself up for all kinds of problems and you start walking around trying to measure women's shorts. And that does smack of legalism, doesn't it? I mean, can't we all just understand what the point is? So we're not talking about a legalism here. We don't want to dictate what people have to wear. We want you to know and all of us to know that in Christ, there's been a transformation in our lives and there are some things now that matter. The third thing that I, want, that I think is a, an objection here is this. And this is very common when it comes to dress in the church. It is this. Pastor Van... My Bible clearly says, and mine does too, by the way, my Bible says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at my heart, and God knows that my heart is right. You know, that's all good and true, and you're exactly right, and that's why we don't emphasize the external in a lot of ways. It is absolutely true that ultimately the condition of your heart and what's going on on the inner man is ultimately what matters. But I'll tell you, it's often the lack of what's going on on the inner man that shows on the outer man. Sometimes exactly the, what's going on on the outside is indicative that what's going on on the inside isn't where it's supposed to be. And so we have an issue here. We have a number of things that the Apostle Paul is addressing. So there's a few objections. It's a man. I don't want to take it. It smacks of legalism. God looks on the outward appearance. Man looks on the heart. One other objection that I'll mention quickly is this. Let me just read it to speed it up a little bit. Objection number four to this passage. The cultural overtones of this passage are so significant that it is simply outdated and irrelevant today. 
Let me read that again. The cultural overtones of this passage are so significant that it's simply outdated and irrelevant for today. Here's what I would say to that. And I think you have to agree with me. I don't see how you cannot. How can you not agree with Pastor Van? (laughs) Every culture, listen, every culture has boundaries for appropriateness and knows what it is to cross lines of propriety, modesty, and social identities. Let me read that again. Every culture, no matter where they are or what they've done, has boundaries for what is appropriate and they know what it is to cross lines of propriety, modesty, and social identity. That means that this is a timeless passage. That means that maybe we're not looking at toga robes embroidered with pearls. Culturally, it's really amazing if you've traveled or if you've been in other cultures and you can really feel this. I've never seen it so dramatically as when I go to Malawi to preach with Yohani and Love Kapesi, our missionaries in Malawi, Africa. And one of the things that it didn't take long to notice, when we were in mixed groups, that is men and women at church together, and we'd be preaching, or at the pastor's conference, the pastor's wives were there. Now the men sit on one side and the women sit on the other side, or the men sit in the front and the women sit in the back. But sometimes when we're in a meeting or if we're gathered out on the ground and we're all preaching... Mothers with little babies will just undo their dress top and start nursing their baby right there. And so you're preaching away, and all of a sudden, this young mother, she just, whoop. And you're preaching. And so then you just come over here and you start preaching. So I'm just going to preach over here for a while. I'm going to preach over here. And then you glance, she finally gets it together, and then you can preach over here for a while. And I said to Johanny, I said, I said, does it bother you guys? No, don't even notice that. I said, well, they're, you know, they're young mothers, they're young women. And I said, is it acceptable for like teenagers and other? He said, oh, 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 no, if you are unmarried and no children. And so interesting in the culture, if you're married and you're having a, and you have a baby to nurse, it's not a problem and nobody thinks anything of it. If you're unmarried or if you don't have a baby and you pop your top loose and expose yourself, all the men go crazy. It's like, interesting, isn't it? You see, every culture has identifiable boundaries. And we know how to work that. And so, there's certainly a distraction going on in the church. We might, in our culture, come up with some objections. Let me very quickly make some pastoral suggestions, and we're going to have to just pick this message up next week and, and roll on into the next part addressed to women as well, and even much more controversial than this in our culture. But a few pastoral suggestions, some things that I think we have to say as we think about this. Okay, how does this apply to our church? What is Paul talking about? What are the kinds of things that would distract our church in the matter of dress? First of all, let me say this. I do not think that Paul is building a case that women are not to take good care of themselves, or men for that matter. He's not, it, it, I don't think he's saying it doesn't matter how you dress. I think he's actually saying it really does matter how you dress. And when he says, you're not to do gold, gold and pearls and fancy dresses, I don't think his point is, if you, if you apply it and understand the cultural context in which he's writing, he's talking about, you don't come in in such a way that it just draws attention to yourself. You don't come in and flaunt wealth. And in our culture, I, I don't think we have near as much trouble with the dress part of the economics, as I said, as we do 
the sexual overtones. I mean, how many guys, it was like, ooh, man, Pastor Van's got a real silk tie. I mean, I'd say 99.9% of the men in this church never saw a tie that they didn't want to wear, whether, no matter what it's made out of. It's like, it's the dumbest invention ever. I agree with that. So we don't like, ooh, look at that guy. He's got a $900 Jesse Penet suit. You know, it's like, we just don't do that. We don't care if they have ragged up jeans. or So that dress part isn't a big deal. I do think that if you're wearing your jewelry, ladies, and I don't think Paul's saying don't wear jewelry, but if you're wearing your jewelry, if you're flaunting your stuff, your jewelry, your hair, in such a way that it's like, wow, whoa, then people are here to worship Christ. They're not here to check out your threads. They're not here to check out your jewelry box. And if you are doing that, then you're wrong. That's how it applies. And on the sensual part, I mean, it's like, if you're trying to show off a new tat that you have somewhere that's not supposed to be seen in public, don't do it in church for sure. It's like, if I drop this a little bit lower, everybody can see it, you know? Or if, as far as the guys go, you know, it's like, if, if we don't really care what kind of boxers you're wearing. Pull your pants up. <laughs> All right? It's like, get dressed, get a belt, you know? So a couple things that I think we need to think about as we wrap up and we need to transition to meditative thought about our salvation in Christ and his transforming power in our lives. Number one suggestion this morning is I want to clearly say that I think it is highly inappropriate for a man other than a woman's husband to comment, to correct, or to instruct another woman about their dress in the church. Okay? Okay? I think that that is very important. I don't think that the men should be like the, the dress patrol around here. It's highly inappropriate. Number two suggestion is that if you are a young believer in Christ, I'm speaking specifically to younger women and teenage girls, if you are a younger believer in Christ and you are unsure of your ability to be wise in this area, you need to enlist the help of a godly older woman. You need to trust your mother's judgment. How oh, Pastor Ryan, you don't know my mother. <laughs> no, but I can see what you're wearing, and you better listen to somebody. <laughs> Here's what you do. How do you do that? How do you get an older, wiser woman to talk about this with you? Well, I don't know exactly, but uh, I think a suggestion would be to go to one of our ladies-only Bible studies on Tuesday morning or our ladies-only Wednesday night Bible study, and then hang around afterwards until everybody leaves, and then indicate to the teacher, I'd really like to talk to you after class. And this is for somebody, especially if you've been living out in the world, or you don't, this is all brand new Christian life to you, and you've just been saved, or you're just trying to get it together, and you don't know, you know. And so you just need some guidance, just say, in private to them, would you, can I talk to you about, how a Christian woman should dress. What are some of the guidelines that you use in your life? What are some of the things that you do? It, you know, and maybe like, you know, maybe like having ripped up jeans and big holes, right? You know, all over my jeans. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that is a little distracting. Something like that. And I'm kind of glad that style is kind of getting by us a little bit. The third suggestion is, I think that all of us need to guard our hearts and evaluate our motives for why we dress the way we do. 
I referenced earlier that it's kind of like an anything goes culture, but it's really not. You try to get, the kid, get a kid to wear anything. They know exactly what part of the anything goes culture they want to wear. And very careful to have a certain look. Why are you doing that? Why are you afraid to dress a certain way over here? Why, why are you having to wear certain things a certain way? What's going on inside of you? You need to ask yourself, Am I dressing in a way that I really do want people to notice my body? I really do want people to think that I'm really attractive. And again, I I think we should be men and women of excellence. You should polish your shoes. You should iron your shirt or blouse. You should do something with your makeup and your hair and not just roll out of bed with, you know, dog breath and come to church in your sweats and ketchup from your eggs dribbling down your t-shirt. I mean, clean up a little, come out. But if you get up in the morning, you're thinking, now what can I wear so that people think, you're cool, man. So you've got issues. When you come in here, it's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about us lifting up together before the living God. As I said, it's not about you. And if you're dressing in such a way that heads are turning, you need to ask yourself, why do I dress the way I dress? The fourth and final suggestion that I want to make here is this. Remember, regardless of cultural acceptability... Of certain fashions and look, there is never a place for public immodesty on the part of Christian women. Let me say this again. Number four suggestion from your pastor. Remember, as Paul teaches Christian women to dress a certain way, remember that regardless of what the culture says, regardless of what's in style, regardless of what's fashionable, for certain fashion and look, there is never a place for public immodesty on the part of Christian women. You understand me? So here's the thing. You say, but Pastor Van, everybody's wearing, I don't care what everybody's wearing. I mean, if their skinny jeans are spray painted on and we can tell what's under it, we don't need to know that stuff. You don't need to dress like that, but nobody's wearing loose clothes. We're not, no, we're not nobody. We're the church of, of God. And if everybody's doing something, listen, you got to get into your head that you're supposed to be weird if you're a Christian. You're not supposed to look like the rest of everybody else. And young people, listen to me. You fight with your parents about this stuff and you don't like it you're so afraid of looking geeky out there. Listen, if your dad says, you ain't going out of this house in those jeans, don't fight him. Get you some baggy jeans and put on and go out. Put your big old sweatshirt on and go out. Don't make a big deal out of it. You don't want people looking at you like that. It does cross a line and our whole culture is messed up in this area. And the church has bought into it and our young people look like everybody else's young people and parents are afraid to tell their kids, you can't dress like that. That top is inappropriate. Those jeans are inappropriate. You're not doing that. No, you're not going to do that. You're the dad. You're the mom. Win the fight. And young people, you need to understand that in this area, you walk outside of the umbrella of God's blessing when you don't submit to your mom and your dad. But we need to just stop right there for a second and Let me just say that the Apostle Paul is so concerned 
that the women in our church don't dress with sensual, immodest overtones or that there's no kind of economic competition going on, flaunting of wealth or flaunting of in-your-face kind of dress that is distracting because Christ is the center. We just listen quietly and this addresses our sanctification, but I'm not going to expand upon it. Let me just read some verses from Colossians chapter 3. You see what I said before, what's going on the inside, on on the inside, often has a lot to do with what's going on on the outside. And we are not the people of the world, and we are not the people we used to be. And in Colossians chapter 3, listen to what it says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Listen, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the old ways, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in those ways. You used to live a life like that. But now you must rid yourselves of such things. Such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. You've put off your old self. You have a new self in Christ. You have put on a new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of your creator. Here there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, we're God's chosen people, here's how we are to dress. Clothe yourselves, he says, with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. Listen, clearly in that passage, Paul teaches that what we used to be, we are not today. And what we are today, we're not going to be tomorrow. God is at work in us. Put off the old ways. From the very core of our value system to the very way we wear our clothes to church, Christ is to be magnified. Christ is the key. He's the hero. He's the center of our focus. And anything in my life should only point others to Christ, not turn their head away from Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your great grace in our lives and your patience with which you work with us, how you chisel away at us. Father, I just pray that as we prepare our hearts now to just reflect for a few minutes about how your son, the Lord Jesus, came and shed his blood on the cross that people like us could be transformed and our sin removed and the righteousness of Christ become ours, and we could be adopted into your family. Father, we repent of the old ways. We want to turn away from the old ways. Father, help us to get our mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. 
Help us to be men and women and boys and girls who are living illustrations of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his power to change us. Father, thank you for your great love for us in providing Jesus in our time of need, in our helpless state. Jesus came and substituted in for us an acceptable sacrifice, a worthy sacrifice. Father, we would pause now and we would remember this. And we would remind ourselves that we are your children. We're not children of the devil. We're not children of the world anymore. We're your children. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your work in our lives. It's in his name I pray. Amen.